Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Phil Hawkins and Asai Calderon Muñiz. All right, I'm feeling a little anxious about this episode. Um, <laughs> not really. We're just talking about anxiety. Um, that, was, that was a weird segue there. Um, so this, this is also... Uh, a kind of a relevant thing. I know a little while ago, we kind of talked about personal statements because this was something that we were seeing a lot in the students that we're dealing with and like problems. And we want to address those, like try to help them out when they're in those scenarios. But it is also, this is prime MCAT slash application season and students are stressed. And that is pretty normal for this time of year. However, we want to kind of talk about dealing with anxiety and how like it actively hurts you learning and how like we, I have students or tell some like stories and stuff about understanding. I sometimes have students that are studying so much that it is actively hurting their scores. Like, like the best thing they could do is take a day off. Like we'll literally raise their score if they took a day off. Um, that seems counterintuitive, but like, honestly, there are, this is a very common thing, especially in people who are high achievers and that's MCAT people, that's people who want to be physicians. Right. And so understanding like how this kind of comes across us, how this will interplay into what's going on into med school and understanding how to address it, um, is really going to be the main topic of today. Um, and that's because we're seeing a lot of students who are in just like freak out mode because there's just so much stuff going on and it's all hitting all at the same time um, with like MCAT and like applications and all of that stuff. Yeah. And we think that it's really important before we dive in on tackling it to really take a step back and figure out, okay, what goes into anxiety? right? Because knowing what goes into anxiety can help us understand how to tackle it, right? And how to nip it in the bud as much as possible and how to react to it when we've done all the things that we can to kind of prep and and avoid it, but then it still kind of comes in and shows up, especially on, on test day. So if you think about anxiety, right, when are the times that you have felt anxious, So maybe when you're going up and giving a speech to people, maybe you're someone that has a lot of testing anxiety, right? Maybe you're someone that has a little bit of social anxiety or you find that you get overwhelmed easily. These are all common times when people can experience anxiety. And what do a lot of these have in common? It's a loss of control and often kind of a sensory overload or a disorientation, right? So if you think about when you're sitting down for a test, you don't know what the outcome will be, right? You had control of your studying up until that point, but you don't know what's going to be. You know, you don't have the exact questions that are going to be on the exam. You don't know, uh, you may not find out right away your score. So kind of like the MCAT, there's that, you know, inability to, to control that feedback or not have that feedback, the disorientation of being in a new place or not knowing how things are going to to happen, that kind of sensory overload, if there's a lot going on, um, it can kind of activate that fight or flight, and that can also lead to to anxiety. And so really understanding that how we work through anxiety has to, at at its core, target one of these things, right? And so as you listen to, to what we're going to be talking about, take stock and say, okay, what makes me most anxious? And yes, what has helped me in the past, but if I think about it, what's the root of that anxiety, right? And not just in in your personal life, but also in your academic life, because that's what we're here for. Yeah, I, I, I feel like with, we haven't talked about this, but the idea that you just kind of address, like go to the root of the problem, like that's the part that you need to address. Um, that's something I've been talking about literally all week and with all of my students and like, what kind of what's going on is like, listen, you, you treat the disease, not the symptom, right? Like get to the underlying thing, right? If you're missing a question on your, on the MCAT, yes. why did you miss the question? Did you miss it because you didn't know the equation? Did you miss it because of math error? Did you miss it because you know the equations, but you didn't know which one to use because you didn't know how to apply them. Like those are three different problems. The symptom is the same for all three of those students. They all missed the question. Mm-hmm. But the cause is different and you got to address the cause. Like student one needs to like 
reread the chapters and like watch videos on what's going on with um, electrochemistry. Student two needs to do a math refresher. Student three needs to uh, do practice questions. And those are three different things, but they're each addressing the cause of why they miss those, those questions. So the same thing, like that's something I, I preach all the time is like address the cause, not the symptom, like the disease, not the symptom. And so that obviously relates to anxiety, right? So like if anxiety is making your like you you have this like panic attack, your heart rate goes up and you're you're having trouble kind of like focusing on things and you're 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 you kind of like have sensory overload, like bringing that sensory overload down, like but or let's say bringing the like the heart rate down doesn't fix the problem, right? You want to fix the underlying problem kind of like where what's happening with that. And so obviously this relates to the MCAT. I will say, and I know as I, you and I have talked about this, that the only time I've had a student that like, I, they, we were practicing working together and then they took the test and their score plummeted. The only time that's ever happened to me, the only times are when a student had like a panic attack, when they're saying anxiety is a function of this. Anxiety kind of like folds in somehow. And this, this happens fairly frequently because obviously the people are under a lot of pressure for the MCAT. And there's a lot, uh, people were putting pressure on themselves. And also it's just, you know, it kind of like culminates after like months of studying and all this stuff. And generally it builds up, builds up until the day of the test. Um, and so there are other factors that kind of go into this, like sometimes like lack of sleep or being burnt out or things like that can contribute. But this is something that does happen and I hate it, right? Like it's the worst thing in the world when a student studies and works hard for five months, but then because of anxiety, like they, they're fine on this test, except for they have like an anxiety attack. And so like figuring out how to deal with that, I think is very critical. Yeah. And we've talked about this in, in past podcasts, right? The importance of seeking uh, help when you have an area where you need help. And one of those would be something like anxiety, right? And something else that you can do, we talked about the, the kind of true root cause of anxiety at its most basic level, but there are also things that you can do in figuring out, okay, what scenarios are contributing to my anxiety, right? Like maybe I don't really know how I learn. And so the thought of tackling something like the MCAT and having to learn so much in this kind of condensed period of time is, is contributing to anxiety. Maybe I I had some difficulty in undergrad, right? And I just kind of struggled and I'm worried about struggling again or that, you know, maybe I'm concerned I might not be good enough or I don't belong here. Like you said, sometimes sleep deprivation, y'all, that's a thing. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe there's things in your home life or your personal life. And like you said, just kind of the weight of the MCAT can, can be overwhelming. And so, Yes, you're trying to figure out what what's going on so you can address it, because like you said, the times that I've also had students kind of follow along that path has been really similar reasons, just the stress, the anxiety and whatnot. And I think what people don't always realize, and I have pushed this until I'm close to blue in the face or pink in the face, um, it's that a lot of what we do and encourage you guys to do when studying for the MCAT will apply to medical school, will apply to your career and your future career as a physician. It is a, it is a lifelong process. And so part of why we want to help you guys, you know, really understand how to address this elephant in the room is because it's going to help you in multiple aspects of your life. And just to kind of put it into perspective. So sometimes I get a little nervous sharing these things with you guys because I'm like, I don't want to dissuade you. Um, but I also think that it's really important. And these are things I wish I would have known to know about what med school actually looks like. And for reference, or just kind of to put things into context, right now, roughly every month, I am taking a shelf exam on a topic. The the question stems about a paragraph long, a ridiculous amount of answer choices, and it's like 110 questions, you know, and I'm someone that I'll talk, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll address this later, but I have test anxiety. And so kind of finding ways to address that has helped make that a smoother process. And these were things that I wish I would have known when I was testing for the MCAT. It would have made my life so much easier, would have made the transition to med school easier. It would make this time right now easier. Um, and so it, it relates to the MCAT and the MCAT 
in a sense, really prepares you for what's coming. And so using it as an opportunity to grow, trying to learn to look at it through a lens of understanding and appreciation, you may not love studying for it. I don't think anyone loves studying for it. If you told me that you love studying for the MCAT, I'm sorry. I'm not sure I'm going to believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> just being very frank. And so, you know, we encourage you guys find the root, right? The, the true kind of base root, and then also the scenarios that are leading up to it so that you can take advantage of the tools and, you know, how to tackle it that we'll be, we'll be talking about. Yeah. I love that, that kind of like remembering that this is not just for the MCAT because you have other tests, right? I feel like this is something that happens to students. It happened to me. I shouldn't project onto other people. I could not see past the MCAT until I was past the MCAT. And then I saw like personal statements and applications. I'm like, I can't (laughs) see past that until I'm past that. And then Mm -hmm. like the the sort of like nearsightedness, which happens, like it kind of has to happen because- Like the goal coming up and the thing coming up is so big that you got to put all your focus on to dealing with that thing. Um, But there are other tests coming down the way. I feel now I'm questioning whether like, I feel like this isn't good. Like, oh, you're anxious. There's a lot more coming. Like, that's not, that's not very good. Like, I'm starting to question what we're doing here. But I do think it is good to kind of like talk about how to deal with anxiety and so that you can apply it to the MCAT and other stuff. Like this isn't something that's just an MCAT focused thing. You're going to have exams like the shelf exams, as I talked about, which are longer than any section of the MCAT. And it's like, it's like about as half the length of an MCAT and you don't have a break in there. But then there's also like exams when you get to your step one, step two, step three, like exams that take more than one day to take, right? The exams are so long. And so Note that these things, like you are going to have other big tests coming up because I I really believe everyone listening to this is going to become a physician. Um, and so going through this process and getting to this, and so we're trying to prepare you not just for the MCAT, but what comes next after that. And being able to deal with anxiety, big portion of that. Exactly. And yes, that's such a great point, right? It can feel so stressful. Like you're already stressed and you're like, what, there's more? Um, but again, the purpose of this podcast is to equip people so that they can tackle it and get to a place where it's not overwhelming. So when those, you know, tough and and just lifelong learning keeps coming up, you're in a better place. So you're not as freaked out as you are perhaps right now, listening, listening to this. And uh, so we want to give you guys concrete things to do because it's so stressful when someone's like, oh yeah, just, you know, kind of work on it and it'll be fine. Like, no, I don't need hand wavy. Just yeah. Figure it out on your own. I need concrete steps. What can I do? So Phil, I know you and I, when we were talking about this, it was like, okay, well, sensory components are, can be really impactful in terms of anxiety. And as you were talking, we kind of realized, ah, this might be one of the situations where like, I know for me, it's, it actually does have a a place. And I think for a lot of my classmates too, um, and friends. And so one of the things that I recently had a friend tell me about, and I was like, oh, I need to figure out when I can try this is this idea of engaging your five senses and just focusing on one at a time as you do that as a way to recenter yourself and decrease your anxiety and kind of distract you from whatever is making you stressed. And so the idea is that you have five senses and you know how to count. So you will count down by engaging each of these senses. So the very first thing is find five things that you can see, right? So right now, just kind of working through this, um, Phil, I can see you, right? I can see my microphone. I can see the camera. Um, I can see a light source and I can see some sticky notes with lots of notes on them. And then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to find four things that I can feel, right? I can feel my mug. I can feel the sleekness of the computer, right? I can feel the slightly rougher component of, of my shirt, right? And I can feel the like smooth, a rounded edge of the cables that are connecting things. And then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try and have to think about which, which senses we've, we've talked about. Um, then I'm going to think of three things I can hear. And so right now I can hear the sound of my voice. I can hear a fan. And every so often I can hear a neighbor either playing some music or slamming a door or something funky like that. And then the next thing is find two things that you can smell. 
So I don't have COVID, but right now there's not a lot of very strong sense around me. So perhaps I might be a little tougher. And then finally, one th- <laughs> I think I actually did. I do have perfume on, so I can smell my perfume. Um, perfect. And then one thing you can taste, right? So a little bit of a little bit of matcha. Yeah. And so I've just engaged my five senses and I can tell you, I do feel a little sillier than when we started. And for me, that's a good thing. And so that was something that a friend told me about. And I was like, Ooh, I love that. Right. And that's something that they do. And that's something that you can do just about anywhere, but it can also be very helpful when you're studying, right? Because you can step away and find something to smell or find something to, you know, taste or whatever. Um, The other thing is, I don't think this comes as a surprise. I need to, I'm a fidgety person and I talk a lot with my hands. And so having Play-Doh for me helps kind of keep things in check. And so I'll often be, you know, using it um, when I'm here at home, when I'm studying, when we're recording, when I'm doing workshops and, and live sessions and office hours. And so having something that if for you tactile, you know, um, tactile things like things that you can touch are helpful, have that in your study space, right? And again, this may not be something that you do on testing. You might be able to do like, what can I see? What can I, you know, hear things like that? You can do some of this, but incorporating that into your studying can be really helpful to optimize your studying, right? You want to make sure that you're not, there's, there's a, a, an activation curve, right? That, that um, helps improve your, your studying and your retention and your learning. You want to have a little bit of activation, but you don't want to have so much that you're, you know, not learning as much. And so this can help you kind of find that, that sweet spot. I uh, really like that. I feel like just kind of like taking a step back, there is though, like there's kind of two areas here where anxiety is affecting our students, like one during the prep and two during the exam. Yes. And a lot of the stuff that we just did is mostly kind of focused on like a preventative, like during like studying things. Although I think you can do that like five cents thing even during the exam, but mm-hmm. just like, you know, rather than like five things you're feeling, don't go up and like go walk around the room, touching people <laughs> and touching stuff. But like, you know, I can feel the shirt. I can feel the chair under me. I can feel my socks on my feet. I can feel my tongue touching the back of my teeth. Right. I can feel my glasses on my head or things like that. And so you can do this without like running around and doing something crazy. Right. I taste mm-hmm. the oatmeal I had for breakfast, <laughs> which <laughs> probably means I should brush my teeth after I eat rather than before. Uh-huh. Um, and so this this sort of that sort of thing is a good way to kind of like recenter if you find yourself kind of spinning off um, into anxiety. Those of you who have experienced as anxiety will know exactly what I mean by kind of like spinning off where I'm like, I can't, I can't pull back focus. And so like taking something and focusing on something specifically, I've even had somebody say like, focus on your tongue in your mouth and like, it's where it is in your mouth and like touching your teeth. And like, that's, that kind of like pulls your focus to that one thing. Um, Or I have had people say like, there's a, a yoga thing where you would like flex just like the muscle and like your feet. And then you slowly kind of like go up your body and like, you don't have to do the whole thing, but you could do just like flex, like your right calf and just feel it kind of like going like focus on that can help kind of like pull you away. If you find yourself going into that. Um, I'm trying to flex my calf right now. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and if you, you always do your right calf, then, then you'll have one calf that's like jacked and it's like, oh, it's, it's just anxiety. That's why I have one dancer leg. Um, but I do think that, so I don't have as much test anxiety. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. I'm kind of on the other side of this. And I think a part of that comes from the way that I see the world. And so we're going to bring in some psych vocab terms. I know we finished psych a long time ago uh, in the podcast, but like a a, a locus of control and like self-reliance and self-efficacy, right? So I, if anything, and I remember talking about this when we talked about self-efficacy in the podcast, I, if anything, am overconfident. I find myself (laughs) like above, over my head, sometimes, um, where I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. And all of a sudden I'm like, Whoa, that was too much. I bit off way more than I could chew. Um, and so I I tend to have a really high self-confidence. And so I don't, whenever I sit down for an exam, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to rock this. Um, even if I don't know something, I actually remember in undergrad, me and a friend, like we both got our grades back for this. Uh, I think it was cell bio test. And we're like, 
I, I know I did way better than this. I'm like, there must be something wrong with the, the scaling, like the, like the, the Scantron thing. And so like, we went and talked to the teachers, like, yeah, I can show you your tests. And like, we go and look at them like, oh no, I, I missed all these questions. I'm like, I did way worse than I thought I did. And so I, if anything, tend to go in the other direction, which has its own problems. Um, but having this like an internal locus of control, feeling like I am the one in control and I feel like I am capable and have self, um, self-confidence in this, I think that that can go a long way. Um, and so I think like the idea is like trying to understand and kind of deal with that. And so if you find yourself in that scenario where you feel like I don't have control over things, like taking a moment to stop and think about the things that you have done well with in the past, things that you have accomplished and like making you feel more capable, honestly, doing that before you go in for your exam, probably not a bad idea to like, as you're in your car, just talk like, listen, I did this. I did this, I did this thing and I rocked it, right? Um, do kind of that that weird pep talk to yourself yeah. in the car, right? Like I, I honestly think that that can be really helpful um, for some students is to just reiterate to themselves, like you are capable, you can do stuff and you've been studying for this test for a long time and you've learned a lot and you are ready to take it. And I think that that can, that can go a long ways. And that's something you do just like the day of your test or the day before your practice test. I'd encourage you, if you want to do it the day of your test, you should do it your practice test days also. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I love that, that you mentioned like, you know, that confidence having to do with with possible anxiety and, you know, like you're on the perhaps overconfident end of the spectrum. I'm still working on mine. Um, but I've actually, that's something that I've, like I said, I wish I would have known this before I had to start taking these, these shelf exams. And so I wish I would have known it when I was studying for the MCAT, but just reminding myself at the beginning of, of each exam, I remind myself, okay, I have studied to the best of my ability. I took, you know, the extra time that I had at the end of the day and I put it into studying and maybe I didn't have 110% every day and that's okay. Right. And I think that really does help because it's like, okay, I, I did what I could. And at this point, the best I can do now is tackle this exam with every ounce of what I have for the next few hours. And so that also helps like regain a little bit of that sense of control because you know, you can put in what you have. Right. And you can put in that like max effort, last push. We're getting through this as much as possible. Yeah. I feel like med school is a lot like a marathon in that way. And so like, if you like, if you're looking at like the middle, like third of the, of a marathon and you're like, Oh, that wasn't the fastest I could run, but that's the fastest I could run at that time. Yeah. Right. Like that sort of thing or the end of the marathon. I feel like a lot of times students think about, like that when they're thinking about their studying is like, I've studied harder in the past for something, but like you are in this zone, like, especially when you're doing like shelf exams, like you are, you are all over the place, right? Like you are being called in. I think you said it was OB Gyn was your shelf. And so like you get called in at all hours of the night because you can't plan when someone's going to give birth and like dealing with all of that stuff. Um, obviously that makes it harder to study and like that makes it harder to deal with those things. But the thing to remember is that's not just a you thing that makes, that's hard for everybody. And so every, nobody is studying as well as they probably should because you're getting called in at three o'clock in the morning. And like, that's just something that you have to kind of deal with. Um, and that's just a part of that an extra hurdle for that exam specifically. Yeah. And this is where, you know, yes, again, in the future, this will be important for you. It's also really important leading up to the exam and even up until last day of the exam, right? Like you were saying, Um, and that's things like, and again, this might sound cheesy, but we cannot emphasize this enough. It's taking care of yourself. It's making sure that you're having, you know, as healthy as is reasonable meals, because I'm the first to say, sometimes I just don't have the the energy to cook and I might grab a frozen meal and that's fine. Right. Um, but like trying to toss in some vegetables and some fruit as much as, you know, I know not everybody likes them, but just try, you Mm -hmm. know, if you can cook at home, trying to incorporate more of that, making sure that, you know, you're not overloading on simple carbs, right. That are going to give you that high and then that low. Um, and so little things like that add up. And building that strong habit 
through test day is going to help you. And tied in with that, something that you can do on test day, pack healthy snacks, pack a healthy lunch, pack something that you are used to eating. So it's not entirely new on test day. Make sure you have water. So you're staying hydrated. One of the like most annoying things is when you're working on something and then your mouth goes dry. You're like, "Mm, I don't like this. (laughs) And so even something that simple is like going to help you stay focused on what you need to stay focused on sleep. Okay. Who else just like runs on caffeine? I didn't have to run on caffeine like my first year of med school. Now I haven't gotten to coffee yet because coffee is is a little strong for me, but I am having a matcha every day, sometimes multiple times a day, sometimes in the evening. And so, you know, making sure that you find a balance, but also getting enough quality sleep is so important. And along with that exercising, right? Like when you're getting up and moving, I think we talked about endorphins. Uh, so <laughs> making sure that, you know, you you are releasing those endorphins whenever possible. But also there have actually been studies that show that exercise can be incredibly helpful for something like depression. And sometimes depending on the, the exercise regimen, almost as if not at the level of medications, right? And so the human body responds so incredibly to exercise and building at building that in through your, and I'm the first to say, I need to get better at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but building that into your normal routine is so helpful. And again, this is something you can use on test day. I had a student who was probably one of the most active people I I knew uh, back in the day. And I really need to, to have picked up something from her. But on test day, we talked about it and we we're like, okay, how can you get that excess energy out of your system so you can sit still for the exam? And she went into jumping jacks in the bathroom during breaks. And there is nothing wrong with that, right? Go out, you have a little bit of privacy in there, do what you need to do. Maybe you're someone that needs to do some pushups. Maybe don't do them on the ground of the bathroom. So maybe on like the wall or something and wash your hands really well afterwards. Especially not in the men's. Uh. <laughs> oh, geez, I, I don't envy you. Um, but like, just do something physical to keep yourself awake. If you're someone that finds that you get sleepy after you know an hour into an exam, go for it. Find something to to keep yourself awake. On the flip side, if you're someone that gets really overstimulated, something like meditation might be helpful for you, right? Pausing, maybe that's something that you incorporate into your nightly routine, or maybe you have a short mantra that you can repeat on test day. Along those lines, I had a student once that needed to um, do her prayer at specific times of the day, right? And she was debating, like, do I not do that on the MCAT? Do I try and do that? You know, like, that's something that's important to me, but also I don't want to put my in a bad position. And like, I have to figure out how they'll allow me to do that. And our conversation eventually turned into, if this is something that's important to you, right. And it's something that helps you stay focused, try as much as possible to engage in it. And so along those lines, right on test day, if there's something that you find really helpful, that is you can accommodate it into, into your, uh, test day experience, right? Like even something as simple as closing your eyes between passages, strongly recommend for cars, then do that and try and transfer that onto test day. So build a routine leading up to test day, maximize what you can do on test day in case, right, that prophylaxis, that prevention doesn't work to its full extent and you have a little bit of anxiety on test day. Yeah, that I... I feel like I hadn't thought about it until you were just talking about it, but I did lunges in the hallway on my break (laughs) just because I'm like, I want to like stretch and like move my body a little bit. And that, I feel like that definitely helped. Even if it didn't, it may have been all placebo effect, but it it helped, right? Even if it was just because I felt like it helped. Um, Now we have been talking a lot about like what to do, like leading up to the exam and maybe on your breaks of the exam, but one thing you talked about is that like, you know, kind of closing your eyes sort of thing. Like if you, a lot of times students will get so thrown off by one passage that that throws everything off going forward. Um, I had a student that was like doing great. They got like a 129, um, I think 129 or 130 in Kim Fizz and they got into the car section and like they, they missed no questions up until the fourth passage and they missed all the questions in that passage. And then everything was awful after that. So both the cars and even biochem and even psych. And it was like, this one passage is like you, like, she's like, yeah, like I knew that I didn't understand any of this passage. And so I kept thinking about it and kept panicking and like that kind of threw off everything going after. 
And so I think it's really important to do this, this sort of thing to like not let stuff carry over. Um, and that like every exam has one or two passages that are just monstrously difficult. Um, and that's just a part of the exam, right? The MCAT puts in a couple of harder passages because they have to figure out how to separate a 131 from a 132. And so they got to have those curveballs in there. Now, as a result, like a lot of times students will see that and they'll get like, that'll mess them up going forward. The way that I get around that is after every passage or every two passages, I would just like take a deep breath and then just hold it as I'm like going into the next one. I'm like trying to hold that breath for as long as I can. Um, and I would do a, a thing. <laughs> my, my watch is talking to me and telling me to, to hold my breath. <laughs> um, but I think that like anytime I did that, I would go through and I would just kind of like stop and just like pause and like hold, take a deep breath and think about think about how holding my breath is increasing the carbon dioxide in my body, which makes it more acidic, mimicking exercise um, in terms of pH shifts. Um, that is a little bit of a fun fact there for you, you guys who are studying the respiratory system. We're going to talk about that in a future podcast episode. Um, so heads up, that's coming. But you know, just kind of like thinking about like technically holding your breath mimics exercise in your body in terms of your blood pH. Um, and that's why deep breathing, like meditation and things like that, there really is not much of a difference in terms of like activity of like sitting on the ground, meditating and sitting on the couch, watching Netflix, <laughs> but they don't feel the same, right? Like they don't feel the same at all. And one of the reasons is often when people are meditating, they're doing deep breathing exercises where they'll take a breath and like breathe very slowly and purposefully, like inhale, exhale, and I think that like that in, in my mind, that's one of the reasons why meditating can sometimes feel like exercise, like afterwards, like I feel good, just like I exercised. And so that's something I encourage students to do, like during the actual test, um, especially if you find yourself like that passage was awful. Just take a deep breath and like, well, it's passed, right? That one's gone. Let me just work on the next ones. If I have extra time, I'll come back to that awful passage. But I don't want to let that ruin everything going forward. Yeah, this is a fantastic time to be like Dory from Finding Nemo. Have that short-term memory, yes. <laughs> right? When you have a tough passage, nope, block it out, keep going, right? Mm -hmm. Remind yourself, that was a few minutes of my, my time. I have the opportunity to do so much better. I know that I can. I know that I have the you know capacity and capability of doing better. And so I just don't remember what happened. And I'm not going to lie. I do something similar when I'm taking my exams. You know, I'm in question. I'm halfway through the exam. I'm on question 50, whatever. And, you know, not a real number, but so be it. Um, and I'm just like, okay, this sucked. You know, I have no idea what just happened, but it's fine. It doesn't matter. Who cares? On to the next question. And that's something that has taken a very long time to learn to do. But we encourage you guys have that short term memory for, you know, for those types of tough passages. And cars is probably the section where it's easiest for that to happen because it's strictly reasoning, right? Because you can't fall back on content knowledge, but that's when it becomes most important to have that short-term memory to remind yourself, okay, what are the strategies that I use when I'm studying and that when I'm, you know, when I'm using or when I'm completing a practice passage, excuse me. And that's when you want to maximize on some of these strat for most students, right? Start time, and when you first sit down for that first chem phys passage and when you're starting and halfway through and then maybe like the last passage or two of cars, those are for most students the times where they need to use these strategies, really kick that into high gear. Yeah, I think once again, the reason we bring this up is because it's the time of year where this anxiety stuff is affecting a lot of people. Um, I have a student that I've been talking to um, that is. Like she is pushing really hard. Her test is coming up really soon. She's pushing really hard. Like everyone does when you're like three weeks from your exam. This is when you're like most effort is coming out. Um, but as a result, she's getting a little burnt out and a little bit tired and exhausted. And she's got like this list of things that she wants to do. And she, I want to review all of these topics. And it's a, it's a list that is so big that she has this constant anxiety. Like, I'm not going to be able to get through all this. I'm not going to be able to get through all of this. And so she's pushing harder and, and kind of burning out. And as you mentioned, like this, these sorts of problems tend to affect cars a lot. And that's because when you are tired and burnt out and in, like 
anxious, those things affect critical thinking more than it affects knowledge. And so you're, as you were saying in the sciences, you can just fall back on your knowledge if your critical thinking isn't working. Like some stuff just doesn't make sense. Like blood has a density of 15 kilograms per liter. No, that makes no sense. Why would it be 15 times more dense than water? It's it is water pretty much. It's got to be something near water. And so you can kind of like fall back on knowledge, even if you don't know how to do like the equation and the critical thinking side of things. But as students get, this happens a lot as students start to approach their test day and they push harder, they'll see their scores drop. And it's because they're burnt out. Most of the time it's in the cars. And I think sometimes in the bio, because bio has some of the most complex passages and like scientific reasoning. Um, And then sometimes psych also, because that's just at the end of the exam. And if you're burnt out, it's going to get worse as the exam goes on. Um, And so what happens is those student scores drop in those sections. What do you think that does to these students' anxiety, right? It makes it worse. Like all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, I'm three weeks away from my test. My score just dropped. And so they push harder, which means that the next time they take a practice test, it's even worse. And so their score drops again. I've seen this a couple of times where like, I've definitely seen a drop lots of times in students and due to anxiety. I've seen a couple of times where it's just this positive feedback where the, the more stressed out I am, the worse I do, the more anxious I become, the more stressed out I am, the worse I do. And it just kind of like flows down the toilet, right? It kind of like circles and just keeps getting worse. And this is why it's really important to address this because I was talking to this student and I'm like, okay, let's go and look at this exam you just did, right? Like the, like after the cars, that midpoint, that one car's passage where everything went bad, let's go look at this section. And what we did, and we found that, okay, in this section, you missed nine total questions, which is, no, this is actually the, the Kim Fizz is what this, they did pretty good in this one. Um, and they missed nine questions. Like, let's go through this and figure out like what caused you to miss questions. And so they missed, we decided it was like one and a half questions that were kind of due to a content issue. There was one question that could have, they could have answered by content or strategy and they missed that one. So I'm like, ah, you missed that kind of for both. So one and a half questions missed due to content issues, seven and a half due to like strategy, like critical thinking, being burnt out, silly mistakes, right? That she could have gotten if she hadn't been tired. And so this student had this big, long list of like, I need to go through all of this content. And I'm like, no, listen, you don't need to go through any content. Like if your strategies would have been better, you would have missed only one, maybe two questions in ChemFizz in this. So all that content that you're reviewing for ChemFizz, throw that all out, right? Like you don't need to do that because you're not missing questions due to it. And so going through and looking at like the other sections in kind of the same way, like in every single section, most of the questions were missed, not due to content issues, but due to like silly errors or like misreading the passages or misunderstanding the question or things like that. Things that critical thinking was kind of the key for it. And so for this student, I'm like, listen, probably the best thing, like if you stopped doing anything, you would do better than if you keep going at the way you're going, right? Like if you just did literally nothing for the next two weeks, you will get a better score than if you keep doing what you're doing now, because what you're doing now is just making you more burnt out and worse in like this critical thinking side, which is where 90% of your problems are, is like in the critical thinking side. So don't, I, I don't want other students to kind of like fall into that trap because at least in undergrad, like if you do bad on a test, it means you didn't study well enough. And I think- Sometimes students apply that to the MCAT. So if my scores drop, that means I need to study harder. And that's not always true. Now, that being said, if you go back and you look over your last test and you see like, oh, 80% of the questions I missed were due to content issues. <laughs> yeah, you should probably spend some time on some content. <laughs> but um, this is like a difference between students. And I find that the students that are really prone to anxiety it tends to be like content is not their issue. It's more like that critical thinking side. And in that case, the anxiety amplifies all the problems. Um, And so just take learning to kind of like take a step back. Yeah. And you also want to think about, let's say you get to the point of being burnt out because often as much as, you know, especially when you're first studying for the MCAT, if it's something you haven't really had to pause and think about in undergrad, it can be kind of tough and you get to that point of, of being burnt out. So how do you address it? 
two, you know, we've, we've talked about a couple of things, right. And those also apply not just to prepping for, you know, and studying for the exam, not just to test day, but also to, to breaking that kind of burnt out cycle. But a couple of other things you can do are things like engaging with friends, with family, doing things that bring you joy, right. Or creative things. I know for me, when I am super insanely overwhelmed, I sit down and paint. And if I have a couple of hours, I will put in a couple of hours to painting. You know, it's just, I don't have to focus or think about anything else. I can just sit down and, you know, it doesn't matter if it's not particularly great. I'm the only person that's going to see it. It's going to be somewhere, you know, in my apartment and doing those things that bring you joy and happiness and refill your, your energy meter, so to speak. Those are the kinds of things that you can do to break that burnt out cycle and reset during the days off. Because if you're spending the day off that you, or the days off that you plan to, to get rid of, or to resolve being burnt out, and you spend all those days stressed about the MCAT, you really didn't do a whole lot, right? You're not going to be at your best and you won't have truly reset if all you're doing is sitting and thinking about how you should be studying. So do other things that make you happy and that you just enjoy during that time. Yeah. I I know we've talked about this in the past, like stress and that sort of thing. And I know that I've mentioned this, that like getting a dog actually (laughs) made me do better in med school because it forced me to get out and forced me to go to the dog park. And I started to socialize with people there and I got more exercise and I wasn't, I was like focused on the dog's needs at times. And like, sometimes I just needed a moment to step back away from what was kind of pulling me in. Just give me a little perspective. Um, and I, I don't want students to take, take away as like, Phil says I should get a dog when I'm in med school. Like, that, that's not what I'm saying. But I think that having something like taking that time to step away, whether creative, like socially, you know, exercise, like you need, you need some of that. Ideally, like maybe a little bit of all three of those as well. <laughs> (laughs) the other stuff we've talked about. But I think that this is a really important thing to to understand. Now, as I mentioned, I am not like I tend to be like I don't tend to have a lot of that test anxiety. Um, I think the, the reason for that is I see going to the test as that's the easiest part of the process. Like taking the MCAT is the easiest part of taking the MCAT. That doesn't make any sense. Um, What I mean by that, the hardest part of taking the MCAT is studying for the test, right? That is the monstrous part. Taking the test, piece of cake in comparison, right? Because you have to put in so much work over so much time, months of work in order to get ready to take the MCAT. Once you've done that, it's like seven hours, seven and a half hours. Just sit down and talk about what you know, what you've been studying for the last several months. And so- I think there comes a point where it's just, I feel like, oh, I've done everything that I can do. Kind of a lot like what you were talking about, Azai, where it's like, I've put in all the stuff I could have to the best of my ability. Now it's just time to show up and see what happens. And so the work has already been done. The die have been cast at that point where you're going to take the test. And so at least for me, that's like sitting and taking the test is a moment of release where it's like, I... This is the last time I have to think about this. I finished the Kim Fizz section. I'm done with Kim Fizz on the MCAT for the rest of my life, right? And so you just kind of like work through that. And that's like removing pressure um, is how I see it. Like when I actually took my test, it was like each section, each question was slowly removing some of that pressure, which was the opposite of anxiety inducing, right? This was causing relief more than anything. Um, And I know that that's not a normal way that people like look at exams and things like that. But I do encourage you to kind of like think about things a little bit like that. I've I've said this analogy like a a dozen times on this podcast, but I think about the MCAT as like running a marathon. The hard part is getting in shape to run a marathon. Once you've done that, running the marathon is easy, right? It's just getting in shape is the hard part. And so that's what's going on with the MCAT. The getting in shape for the MCAT, that's the hard part. Taking the MCAT's easy once you've gotten to that point. And so just kind of like taking a second, maybe changing your perspective and like the way you're thinking about the test um, might be able to make that a little bit easier. Yeah. Phil, I wish I would have known you when I was studying for the MCAT. I would, I could have <laughs> used that perspective very much so. But I also think in my case, I knew other people testing and we were kind of fueling each other's we were, we were probably fueling each other's anxiety a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's and, definitely a thing with students. Yeah. And somehow, I don't know how, I managed to stay off of Reddit 
um, while I was studying, but then I did not after my exam and seeing people posting that had been doing these amazing, you know, practice exams saying, oh, I think I failed that like fueled some, some excess anxiety for me for that. So I would suggest not reviewing it after you take your exam. Um, so you guys don't like add fuel to the, to the fire, but, um, some things that I did for my test day that helped alleviate some anxiety. So like I said, it's you, it can often feel like you didn't do enough or that you're not smart enough or that there's still so much that you don't fully understand or haven't truly mastered when you go ready to take, you know, and get ready to take your exam. What I found really helpful is I wrote on a little note card, just kind of like last minute things, last push kind of situation. And I took it with me in the car, you know, to, to my exam date. And obviously I tossed it before, <laughs> before sitting down and testing, uh. do not want to end up in that situation, but just having that was helpful. I knew that I had put in, you know, a, a wild amount of effort and I had something just like having it in my hand, physical, you know, not just on my phone, I found really helpful. Um, I also tried not, I tried not to study too much the day before I really limited what I did. And I found that really helpful. Cause like I said, I, I have some, you know, testing anxiety and I get stressed and I'm also someone that has a tendency to get very physical reactions for stress. So like something that still happens to this day is I get really nauseous. And so like making sure that I had eaten well, but not too much and something that I was still used to and having meals, you know, that you, you pack, um, I packed some meals that were pretty familiar to me and not too, you know, like not a whole lot of sauce or not a whole lot of this or that, um, to make sure that I was giving myself physically the best chance of, not worsening any symptoms that might start. Um, I was someone that I did close my eyes on test day and I took my full, basically I took my full breaks. Uh, I recommend students kind of plan ahead of time and maybe plan to take an eight minute break instead of a 10 minute break. So you can get back to your seat on time and the timer doesn't just go off and start on your next, uh, on your next section. But I was basically taking the, taking the full break, even if it meant I just sat there for a few more moments that, you know, I was itching to get back into it and just have it over with and making sure that like I took that time was, was helpful. Like I said, something that I do now for my test days is I, I will actually do a few practice problems just to remind myself of what the structure of the questions look like in part, because the current questions that we're getting, the format is so different from like previously earlier in medical school because it's so, you know, density so intense. So I just remind myself nothing too hectic. And I do questions that I've seen before. So I don't end up in a situation where, oh shoot, I missed three questions and now I'm more stressed. Right. Or you're like panicking, like you look at a question like, I don't know this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so like I just do a couple of questions that I've done before. And maybe it's something that I've missed before. And it gives me the chance to show, oh yeah, I studied that and I got this this time. Mm -hmm. Right. When I'm like I said, if I see a question, I'm just like, I don't know what you were thinking when you wrote this. And I don't know what I'm thinking, trying to answer this. You know, I take a few moments and I just pep talk myself and I'm like, it's fine. You know, it is what it is. It's just one question. There are a hundred more to do literally. Yeah. And so it's fine. I don't have to think about this again, like you said. And that's something that if I read it and I have zero idea, either what the question stem is asking or the answers. In this case, you kind of either know it or you don't. There's not a whole lot of reasoning that I can do after I've done my base reasoning. You know, I'll flag it. If I have the, the energy and mental bandwidth to go back and review it, I will, right? But if I know that I'm just going to make it worse and I just really can't, I, I can't process what's happening, I might like take a glance, but if I'm like, getting more overwhelmed and realize this is just going to go downhill real quick. And whatever chance I had at answering it is now out the window, then I might pause there and just move on right after I'm, I'm reviewing. And that's okay too. So finding that balance of, all right, I'm getting good at flagging. I recognize that if a question is causing me a lot of distress because I have no idea what's going on in the first 30 seconds, I'm just going to flag, pick an answer. So I don't have an incomplete answer and miss the chance at that one point and move <laughs> on. And then if you have time, come back to it, right? You'll probably have saved yourself a good amount of time if the question is really stressing you out and you don't know what's happening. And you can use that later on to answer a couple of extra questions. And that can also help relieve anxiety because you're like, ooh, I was smart about that. And I probably got an extra two, three points 
by like being, I'm going to stop saying like, by being smart about this. And so those strategies that you use to be effective during the exam can also in and of themselves help reduce anxiety. So connecting those strategies with that actively can be really helpful and serve as a de-stressor during the exam. Just to kind of bring that full circle, I feel like that essentially is doing what we talk about of like treating the disease, not the symptom, yes. where it's confidence, right? Like I feel like I don't feel confident about this and I'm kind of like panicking imposter syndrome sort of thing. And so by doing some of those things that reinforce confidence will help. Um, and that's why I didn't need to worry about as much of anxiety because I was already way too confident. And, and so just kind of like keeping that in mind of like, oh, if it's a confidence issue, what can you do to address that, right? How, what exercises can you do to address that kind of overall? Um, so hopefully all of you guys are, are finding this really useful. Not obviously we kind of focus a lot about the exam, but Specifically, like studying for the test can be really anxiety inducing. Trying to make a plan, a study plan can be very anxiety inducing. Um, also, admissions, applications, things like that. All of this, I feel, feels like the entire MCAT journey, pre med journey, is just like filled with anxiety at times. Um, note that if you guys need help with a little bit of advice on what to do, how to, you know, set up a study schedule, scheduler, how to deal with admissions, the MCAT, what resources to use, when you should be using them. Um, I know we talk about this a lot, but our academic advisors are absolutely free. You can reach out and talk to them about anything. Um, even stuff like my family doesn't understand what's going on and I'm having anxiety with this and like, they don't understand this. And so having someone to talk to who understands what's going on with the MCAT, what's going on with the admissions application journey, like helps, right? Because it's really hard to talk to somebody who doesn't understand the process. And you're like, this is like making me freak out so much. And like, well, why are you freaked out? I mean, it's just like, it's just one test. And I'm like, <laughs> it's a little bit different than just one test, right? And so having someone you can talk to about that it, uh, can really help. So I want to do one last plug for academic advisors. Um, you can find more information in the uh, information below. Thank you again, you guys, for listening. And to get the number to reach our academic advisors, go ahead to the Jack Weston website, look at the top, and you'll find their contact information as well as ways to get in touch with other fantastic members of the Jack Weston team.